Hey, it's Jeffrey. Sorry we didn't get a podcast out last week. TJ was on vacation, and uh, and I did not do it. I could have, but I didn't. I'm, uh, I'm pretty busy nowadays. Um, I thought after disaffiliation took place, I'd kind of get a breath, but that's not really the case. There's a whole lot that needs to be done. Just so you know how to pray for me, I'm serving on the Transitional Conference advisory team. I think that's what it's called for the for the Global Methodist Church in my area and the, the Heartland. It's not even a provisional conference yet, but hopefully it will be at the end of the year. I also continue to serve on the Wesleyan Covenant Association for the Oklahoma area and uh, leading these two small churches. And um, there has been a lot of interpersonal friction lately, so I would just invite your prayers and uh, support one of my favorite things I get to do in life is twice on a Sunday morning, I get to stand up and speak about the truth of God's Word as known through the Scriptures, and I did that again this last Sunday. And I'm always anxious that I'm going too long, but the thing is, how on earth do you adequately talk about something without spending a while with it? It's not like I'm saying the same thing over and over again. Rather, it's like we're tapping into this huge interconnected web and uh, you, you just have a few minutes to, to, to weave a little bit and show how it all fits together and then hope that people are uh, holding on to that and taking it home and integrating it to, to their, their own private scripture reading. So anyway, that's what I hope you're doing. I hope, hope you're gardening or mowing the lawn or um, uh, sitting and staring at a wall. I don't know, but that you're, you're, you're spending time with me and that you're going back to your Bible then and... Uh, uh, seeing how this all fits together in a, a beautiful uh, cross-referenced, hyperlinked masterpiece. So uh, if that's not your understanding of what the Bible is, then uh, you should revise your understanding because you're re- reading it for much less than what it is, which is just a masterpiece from the mind of God for us mere mortals. Uh, what an honor, just a perfect honor for me to spend my life talking about it, trying to live it, trying to help other people live it. There's nothing else I want to do. So thank you for supporting me in this church. I continue to pray for this church as we navigate <clears throat> what life looks like after disaffiliation. We're looking at different options. We're not taking a, we're not, we're not hurrying. We're going to make a good decision and, and God will be with us all the way. Thanks to your prayers. So anyway, enjoy my reflections on the word. Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. Good morning, everyone. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him and some said, what will this babbler say? Other some, he seemed to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him into Areopagus 
saying, May we know what this new doctrine, whereof thou speakest, is, for thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else, but either to tell or to hear some news thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hall and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship him, declare I unto you. God then made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one's blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as, as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in the, in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them, howbeit certain men cleave unto him and believed, among which was Diocletus and Aeropagnite, and a woman named Diamatris, and others with them. This is the word of the Lord. This section is often uh, referred to as Paul's speech at Mars Hill. Um, this is uh, an example of what Christian ministry can and probably should look like among cultures that are not familiar with Christ. We are living in an age right now where a lot of people in the world around us know the name Jesus, but they don't really know much about the faith at all. Uh, we're calling them de-churched or unchurched people, um, or sometimes they're called nuns, N-O-N-E-S. They're people who, when they're asked, they say they have no religious affiliation. So they're people that don't know really anything about the faith, and that's the kind of people that Paul is addressing here. Paul is in the Greek capital city, of Athens. Now, Greece had been conquered by the Romans. They're part of the Roman Empire. However, Athens was the center of Greek power. And if you don't know, Greek culture and thought is absolutely foundational to Western culture. That's, that's what made America possible. Uh, if you haven't been introduced to the, this line of thinking, the whole Western culture that was known throughout Europe and, and America was the marriage of Hebrew and Greek thought. They came together. The Greeks, before they even heard the gospel, were building a foundation uh, philosophically for receiving the good news of Jesus Christ. The Hebrews were the ones that God, our God of heaven and earth, entered into covenant with, 
and then through Jesus Christ began a new covenant that welcomed all the nations in. The Greeks responded quite well because their ancients had done the hard work of seeking the Lord. Now, the Greeks, like all other people of other areas, had a pantheon of gods that they told myths and stories about, but their gods behaved in capricious and sometimes immoral ways. But the Greeks talked about eternal virtues and values like truth and goodness and beauty, but these did not correspond to their gods. So these people called philosophers came about saying, how can we talk about these eternal principles or values that don't correspond to our gods? And so into that, Paul enters and he says, I can tell y'all are spiritual. The King James renders this, you're too superstitious, but really the, the word there doesn't have a, a negative connotation. The notion is you guys are seeking spiritual realities. You're aware of the spiritual realm. However, you don't know the God you need to know. He says, I travel around, I see all these different idols and stuff, but I saw an inscription to the unknown God, and I know that God, and I brought him to you. He is the God who created heaven and earth. He is the God that will bring about the end of history through a judge, and we have actually met that judge. He came and lived with us and then died, and God raised him from the dead. Who's he talking about there? Jesus. He says, I've come to bring all this to you and to all nations, and the way forward lies in your repentance. He, he puts repentance right front and center, as Peter did with the Jews in uh, Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. This is something that throughout the ages, Jesus preached repentance, Peter Paul, all of them preached repentance as they went throughout the world to enter into it, to repent and believe. That was the exhortation. Uh, so this is what Paul issues. So he starts off acknowledging that they have a culture that is aware of the other realms. And he says, but you missed the key, and I've got the key. The key is a man named Jesus, the God-man. God made flesh, the eternal logos. And that logos word is something the Greeks would have been very familiar with. That's a word that means word or principle. Um, so anyway, that's, I, I don't have time to preach on that. The thing I do have time to preach on, I think, is in every single culture, there is a way in where faithful Christians can make their way in and give a solid witness. And that's what Paul does here. He gives a solid witness saying, you're reaching and grasping in the darkness for something. I'm bringing you the light of, uh, to point at what you're reaching for. You may grab him, but there are conditions. And he extends that to them. And how do they respond? Some of them receive it, and some of them scoff and mock. Nothing has changed across history. Today, there are people who are yearning for truth, and they just need to hear it. And how do they hear it? You tell them. We tell them. There's always a way in. We just have to be open and ready to take that opportunity when it comes. And we're not bearing down on them and saying, you need to do this. We're just giving the testimony God has sent his son who died for us, and now we need to repent. That's basically all Paul does here. But then there's an exhortation. Repentance means giving something up, right? And with every type, uh, culture and every person, there's a temptation to hold on to things that we need to let go of. With the Greeks, he already hit on it right up front. It was idolatry, right? And they made images of their gods, and they bowed down to them, and they sacrificed things to them. And whenever Jews became Christians, they didn't do that. They already had a long history of not using idols. But the Greeks, they wanted to continue using idols. And so you had battles fought in the early church over icons. Do you, does anybody know what an icon is? 
the people, uh, the, word, the Christians who uh, had icons, they said, it's not an idol. It's just a painting of a holy person that we bow down to. We're not worshiping. They created different words for it. But, of course, as a Protestant, I'll tell you, there's a reason I'm not a Roman Catholic. There's a reason I'm not Eastern Orthodox, and it's because this tradition is maintained till today. They have statues. They have icons that they do bow down to, that they do pray to. I would say it's worshiping. They would say it's not worship. It is, um, huh? Venerating. Thank you, Sarah Beth. They would say, this points me towards God, to which Protestants usually say, there's only one mediator, and it's Christ Jesus. So this is a long time in the Bible. We look at the Bible like it's an ancient document. It's something that helps us know how to participate in the present. And one of the things that's really tempting for churches is to worship things that are not God. An idol is anything that is not God that we put our trust in. So the only thing we can put our trust in in this life is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If we're putting our trust in anything that is not God, our hearts are participating in idolatry. So most Protestants, we don't, we don't have an icon in here that people come in and they kiss and they bow down to and burn incense to. But for a lot of people, yeah, they do carry idols. You know, uh, money can be an idol. Our house or our car can be an idol. Family can be an idol. Anything that claims inordinate affection that we put our trust in, that we draw our comfort from, that is not God, is an idol. Paul warned them right on the front end about idolatry. And even though they came to Christ, they brought a lot of their baggage too. And the temptation for us always is not to let Christ clear out the baggage to try and hold everything in our hands. You ever had a huge load of something that's more than you can possibly handle and you're just dropping stuff everywhere? It's hilarious whenever a kid does it, he got a bunch of rocks in his hands and he's just dropping it. That's funny. It's not funny when Christians are trying to hold on to Jesus and all their sin together. It just don't work. He requires that we give it up, just like Paul called them to repentance. Now, some think that's ridiculous and they scoff at it. Those are people Jesus is not calling. There are other people who are searching for truth and they're just waiting for someone to give it. Paul planted a church in Athens. There were believers that came to the Lord there and then he moved on. That's the same thing going on today. I'm preaching truth to you. You preach truth to the people out there. Some of the people out there are drawn back in here, and God is glorified. Amen? Today's third reading comes from first letter of Peter, the third chapter, verse 13 through 22, which you can find on page 1709 of your pew Bibles. Listen again to the word of God. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But and if ye suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good com conversation in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins the just for the unjust, 
that he might bring us to God, be put, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. This is the word of the Lord. We've talked a lot about First Peter over the last few months. If that sounded foreign to you, this notion of being willing and almost eager to suffer for doing right, we've laid out that groundwork really well. Um, so if, if anything, uh, we've, the church has a podcast. You can find it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I would encourage you to just go back in time and listen to our First Peter if you weren't here for any of that. Uh, we, we spent a good deal of time on why it is that we should anticipate suffering and why it's okay and even good to suffer for doing right. Now, if you're suffering for doing wrong, that's not good because you're doing wrong and that's sin and that separates you from God and you've got it coming. But if you suffer for doing right, that brings you closer to Jesus, right? And where is Jesus right now? At the right hand of the Father in the highest heavens, the most blessed place in all the universe. If you want to be with him, you live like him, you die like him, you're raised like him. Now, what is the sign act that seals our death with his death and our resurrection with his resurrection? Where, what does Paul say it is where we die with Christ so we will be raised with Christ? What is it? Baptism, very good. And he talks about baptism in this portion. Um, verse 21, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth now also save us. Now, does baptism save us? Do we just grab people and throw water on them, say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they're saved now and they get to go to heaven? Is that how it works? There are some traditions that look at things that way, and they're wrong, you know, because that makes no sense out of the rest of the Bible. The rest of the Bible does tell us that we should baptize people, but much more time and energy is spent on teaching them to obey everything God has commanded, right? And in our final reading, Jesus is going to say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He says it in three different times in just three different ways in just a few portions. What brings about an obedient heart? It's faith in Christ Jesus. No work that we can do can purchase our salvation or earn our salvation. The only thing necessary that can be done for our salvation is to have that faith that God gives you. So there's nothing you can do. It's God who saves you. He reaches out first. He gives you a penitent spirit to then turn to him. And then his spirit works within you to do those things which are pleasing to him. The very first of which, well, the first of which is repentance, right? But one of the things we get unclear about is, is it possible to have the Spirit of Christ in you and then not be baptized? That seems really silly if you read your Bible. Throughout the Bible, whether you're talking about Acts of the Apostles or the letters of Paul, uniformly when someone has turned uh, their back on their old way of life and they're walking in newness of life, they always mark that 
with baptism. And he's clear here, baptism is not the putting of the way of the filth of the flesh. Rather, it's a testimony. It's an answer of a good conscience towards God. It's saying, I have now turned my back on my old ways. I am going to live for you now. And so when Paul talks about it in Romans, he talks about people who continue to sin after uh, being converted and living for Christ. He says, that's crazy. If you were baptized, you were baptized into the death of Christ. You have now put away your sinful desires. You are a new man in Christ now or a new woman in Christ now. We live differently. We have different feelings. We have different uh, affections. We have put away idolatry. Now all of our lives are oriented towards God, and that is represented in baptism. But baptism is not just a sign. It's not just a token. You know, there are some people who say, well, it, it doesn't save me, so it's just, it's just a token. No, 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 no. God has ordained two sacraments for your salvation. Once you are saved, then there is a whole way of life that proceeds from it, and there are things that you do. There's a one-time thing, baptism, and then there's a regular thing, the Lord's Supper. Jesus gave both of us to do that contain mystical power to work God's transformation in our lives. And if we neglect those, then we reject God's salvific power in our lives. So I'm trying to walk a middle line. There are some Roman Catholics or Eastern Orthodox who would say, um, you know, it's baptism. They, they might not say it exactly like this, but they believe uh, anyone who's not baptized, that is the mark of whether or not they go to heaven or hell. You know, so if you've been baptized, you can relax. You just need to do these different acts and, and go through. Protestants say no to that. You, on the other extreme, you have like free will Baptists who say uh, baptism really doesn't matter at all. You know, some would say it does, but they can't really articulate why. Methodists are in the middle where we say it's not what saves you, but oh boy, does it matter. Just like, oh boy, does caring for the poor matter? Oh boy, does regular communion matter? Oh boy, does participation in the community of saints matter? If you don't do these things, you're dancing with the devil. There are a thousand things that really we need to do if we're going to be faithfully walking with Christ Jesus. Baptism is absolutely at the front of all of those things. There's other things we can talk about here, but, but we're running out of time. And I actually took some heat. I, I did an interview this last, well, I did it a couple months ago, but we put it on the internet this last week of a guy who got fired from um, the Visai United Methodist Church. He was, he was preaching things that are contrary to United Methodist doctrine. And uh, one of the things he refused to do, he refused to baptize infants because they couldn't understand the faith, and that just makes no sense. And so I reasoned with him, uh, hey, uh, we both agree that baptism doesn't save but in Colossians, we're told that baptism mirrors circumcision. And so as the Jews brought infants into their covenant, so Christians bring our children into covenant as well. And he said, well, that makes sense. It's, it was almost like he hadn't thought of that before. But oh boy, did some Methodists jump down my throat saying, you said baptism doesn't save, but here in 1 Peter, it says it outright. And so that's why I spent some time belaboring that today. I didn't want to look like a coward where I just didn't answer those people who accused me of not carrying forward Wesleyan doctrine, we walk this middle ground where we say baptism doesn't save, but oh boy, is it important. Our final reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 15 through 31. You can find it on page 1514 of your pew Bibles. Listen again to the word of God. This is Jesus speaking. If ye love me, keep my commandments. 
And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Who's he talking about that there? The Holy Spirit. Verse 17, even the spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know, know him. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. So this is one of those things that goes against a worldly narrative. A lot of people believe everyone has the Holy Spirit. New. No. Only those in Christ Jesus have the Holy Spirit. Verse 18. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me. Because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Judas Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. That's the third time he said something to that effect. This is a conditional relationship. He's saying, If you love me, you will keep my words, you will keep my commandments, you will be obedient. Is there any way around this? No. He, man, he's got us pinned down. How many people want to say they love Jesus and yet disobey his commandments? That's like everybody in America. I don't know. That's... And Jesus is making very clear that is unacceptable. Have you ever been told that something you want to do is unacceptable? Does it feel good? Oh, it feels terrible. But sometimes we need it, you know? Like my kids playing out in the street is unacceptable. Oh boy, if I, keep my if I catch my kids playing in the street, there are going to be spankings all around. Isn't that right, Susie? Oh boy. And God's punishment, he's very clear about where that line is. You do not cross into the street. You do not sin. If you do, you don't love me, he says. Do I love my wife if I cheat on her? What? How can you say that to me? I love her so much. Let me show you. I have, I have love in here for my wife. Just because I'm not always faithful doesn't mean I don't love her. Am I being ridiculous? But how many people are like this about Jesus? Don't you tell me I don't love Jesus. I love him so much. He died for me. So what? If I'm doing drugs three days a week, so what if I don't pay any attention to my wife and kids? So what if I love money too much? So what if I lie a little bit from time to time? So what if I persistence and fill in the blank? I still love Jesus. And what we get from this is love is not a feeling only. It's a pattern of behavior, a pattern of faithful behavior that doesn't fail. And Jesus says, if you don't do that, if you don't obey, then you don't love me. I don't care what you feel in your heart. All that matters is what you do in your life. My kids, all the time, they, they screw up and they say, I didn't mean to. And I say, it doesn't matter what you mean to do. It matters what you do. And I don't tell them that because I'm just some mean dad that likes beating up his kids. I, I don't beat up my kids. I, I, I'm not some dad that loves berating my kids. I want my kids to understand that our intentions don't matter. Everybody has good intentions. Who here doesn't have good intentions? Every single one of you has good intentions. I already know. Good intentions do not get you into heaven, do they? Good intentions pave the road to hell. That's not in the Bible, just so we're clear. 
That's not in the Bible. It's faithful obedience that evidences the faith that we do or do not have. Jesus answered and said unto him, verse 23, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and the Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. Let me, let me pick camp up for a second. Do you think Jesus is saying, what do you think? His, his disciples were not entirely sanctified at this point, right? They were dead in their sins still. You know, it wasn't until the uh, Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit came upon them. They all abandoned him after this, right? No, it was before this, excuse me. But even so, Jesus is inviting them to holy living before they've done it. So the purpose of these words, some people hear these words and they go, well, shucks, I've been trying my best and I'm still sinning. I guess I just don't love Jesus and he doesn't love me and I'm just going to give in to it and give up. That's not why this was written down. This is written down so we don't take false comfort, okay? Do you know somebody who takes false comfort and they really shouldn't? You know, like they're just not very good to their wife, but at least I'm not very good to my wife. I'm kind of like emotionally abusive, but at least I don't hit her, you know? You know how we take comfort in, in things we really shouldn't take comfort in, you know? We, we, we kind of pat ourselves on the back, even though we're really not. And that's how a lot of Christians are. They're not doing as bad as they could be doing, so God must be happy. Is that how it works? No. <laughs> so Jesus is offering us this standard so that we can go, I say I love him, but I'm not as obedient as I need to be. I, I need to recommit myself to obedience. And I want to urge you, as you're hearing these words today, to recommit yourself to be obedient to Christ. Not to me, to Christ. Verse 26 but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I live, leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard now I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I go to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it came to pass that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. He's talking about Satan there, the, the prince of this world. Satan was coming to crucify him. But that the world may know that I love the Father, as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. So this is before the crucifixion he gave all this. It's for our sake today. Now we're going to end by talking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus said he would send the Holy Spirit as an advocate, as a comforter, as one who would give us knowledge and bring these powerful things to our remembrance. That's why we believe that simply reading the Bible is not good enough. We need the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to illuminate the Bible for us. So as you go home and you're praying and you're reading your Bibles, I hope you're praying that the Holy Spirit would come upon you and give you eyes to see and ears to hear and a mind to understand what he's saying to you. Our closing hymn is a prayer to the Holy Spirit that he would uh, unlock the truth, thyself the key, unseal the sacred book. So we're praying that the Holy Spirit would go home with us and make us holy. And I hope that, I know it's been a long service, I know you're tired, I know it gets hot, and we get sleepy, I'm sleepy. But I hope that these words sink into you and you really do trust in the Holy Spirit 
to draw you closer to God and that he brings you to worship and pray and, uh, and read your Bibles at home. Let's stand and sing our closing hymn, Holy Ghost, Come Holy Ghost, Our Hearts Inspire, number 603.